You're listening to a podcast from 702. Earlier on, I got to sit down and record our Friday Profile interview uh, with Professor Chilisi Marwala. And of course, he is um, the Vice Chancellor at UJ. Here is how it went. The Friday Profile. Vice Chancellor and Principal of the University of Johannesburg since 2018, Professor Chilisi Marwala, a mechanical engineer and computer scientist by training, a man who went on to become professor at the University of Witwatersrand and also chairperson of the System and Control Engineer engineering in South Africa, uh, and a whole host of things. I think if we had to go through his illustrious CV, uh, things such as working at the CSIR, um, the fact that he's the recipient of 45 awards, including the Order of Mapungubwe, um, and one of his doctoral students went on to also receive this order. He was the first African engineer to be awarded the President Award by the National Research Foundation of South Africa. His writings have featured in New Scientist, The Economist, and Time magazine. He holds three international patents. We could be here all day. Literally, literally. What an impressive CV. Professor, um, thank you for joining us and good afternoon. I don't even know where to start because we have about 30 minutes and you are a man with the profile that what stretches into the 30s, 30 pages or so. <laughs> what, what a career. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I really uh, enjoy what I do. Uh, and I believe that uh, if you enjoy what you do, you are going to be good at it. Mm. Uh, people must be passionate about uh, uh, what they do. And of course, the difficulty is how do you find your passion? How, how, how do you identify it? Um, uh, and, and once you identify it, uh, you will enjoy what you do. And I'm hoping that this conversation will help us distill uh, exactly some of that, you know, draw insights from your experience and better understanding how we can go about that. But I, I certainly look out for your writings, follow you on social media. I know you're passionate about the fourth industrial revolution and what it can do in this continent and what we need, in fact, to do to increase capacity to get us there. But there's also the simple insights. For instance, I, I enjoyed one of your more recent pieces um, about Matt and artificial intelligence and how it can help us decide when to lift the lockdown. And it wasn't just the formulas that you were putting forward, but also just the insights, the takeouts out of um, the African way of life, things like physical distancing that has been the norm. Absolutely. You know, where, where, where I come from in the Limbobo province, uh, when you greet, uh, you, if you are a man, uh, you say, nah. if you are a woman, you say, ah. ah. But there's always a distance, and I realize that uh, uh, that is actually our traditional way in which we interacted as uh, as Africans. That uh, the, the the social closeness is actually something that came uh, with uh, colonization and westernization of our continent. And I I suppose if you look at um, pandemics, uh, Africa because of uh, of social distancing uh, has not had as many pandemics as Europe. For example, the Black Death about 800 years ago killed 70% uh, of Europeans. Uh, so I think uh, we have to to look into the past also. We obviously have to look into the future, but we have to look into the past in order to uh, to, to actually make a way for the future. 
Mm, absolutely. But I'm also curious about who are Bahamarwala. You see, uh, 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 Marwala is actually not our name. You know, mm. uh, uh, it turns out that um, I think it was my great grandfather uh, went, I think, to Kimberley, and he came up with a a, a Musutu woman from the family of Marwala. Ah. <laughs> so that's how we got. Uh, the last name, uh, it's a confusing last name for the Mbobo because people will say, but it doesn't really sound like a last name from here. Yes. Uh, so uh, we come from uh, from uh, a place uh, in Limpopo next to uh, Toyando. Mm. I was uh, brought up uh, there uh, and uh, we, you know, we are a close uh, family, uh, not a large one because uh, as you can imagine, if uh, a last name was... Uh, Yes. Uh, was was uh, created uh, just uh, three generations uh, ago. Uh, it will not be a big family. Mm. Uh, we, uh, as a family, are quite passionate about uh, um, using knowledge to to better ourselves. Mm. I think uh, the African continent needs to develop, and the only way it can develop is to start making things. We have to start making cars. We have to start making um, phones. And, and this will only be possible if we are knowledgeable. And that is uh, what we do as the Marola family. We like to, uh, to, 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 to know as much as possible. Now, that's the, the other reason why, I, just come, taking out from what you've just said, why I often enjoy uh, the, the, your thoughts and your writings, is also how you look at um, just indigenous systems, indigenous ways. You mentioned your grandmother, you mentioned her a, a number of times to say how much of an inspiration she is to you, and she's a big influence on your life, uh, and that she was a natural engineer. And so we must never forget that even in our way of life, there is science, that there is knowledge that can, uh, if we fuse it with the academic knowledge that we now have, um, and we, we, we fuse it together, that we're able to create something, uh, absolutely unique and also value, uh, the, the, the work or value the insights and the way of life on this continent. So what did you mean also absolutely. when you said she was a natural engineer? Because now you're a mechanical engineer. Absolutely. You see, uh, there is something universal about knowledge. Uh, My grandmother used to make clay pots. And uh, 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 as the the eldest in my family, uh, I was very close to her. She lived with us. Uh, So I will accompany her to to the river to collect clay. Mm. And uh, she will... She will collect, she will spend time actually looking at uh, the position where she's going to collect this clay. And later on, when I was studying in engineering, uh, uh, that is what we call material selection. And there are all sorts of sophisticated uh, softwares that are able to assist us uh, in that regard. But my grandmother was actually quite knowledgeable on the principles of uh, material uh, selection. And then uh, she will bring it back uh, and then she will form it into a pot. Uh, and a pot is not an easy structure to, uh, to make. Uh, it, uh, if I ask many of our students uh, to design a pot, 
they will uh, they will uh, say they want uh, a computer to do that. My grandmother could do that without uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a computer. And then uh, after that, she will put it in the in the sun uh, so that it can dry. Uh, and then she will put it in a furnace uh, to to heat it. Uh, and then she will allow it to cool very, very slowly. Uh, that process of cooling slowly is what in engineering we call annealing. Mm. Um, there was a German, uh, I think it was Austrian, Austrian a physicist called Boltzmann. He has a, quite an impressive equation on how to cool uh, things, you know. And my, my grandmother was able to understand the principles that I later learned uh, uh, in the Boltzmann equation without necessarily even knowing uh, of that equation, let alone who Boltzmann was. And then she will um, uh, uh, then she will knock each of the ports and listen to the sound. And she will tell me that, you know, everything has something to say. You just have to know how to listen to it. Mm. And depending on the ring of the port, if it rings for a long time, it's a good port. If it rings for a short time, it's a bad port. When I was studying engineering, they said, no, if something rings for a long time, it's a lightly damped structure. Mm-hmm. If it rings for a short time, it's a damped structure. These are very rich principles, and my, my grandmother had it. Oh. And, and that whole concept of listening to things uh, uh, and, and to make sense of it is what we now we are seeing. This is the same principle that is used in our phones when we, we speak to our phones. Mm. It's using the same principle, it's listening, analyzing the signal and making sense of what that signal is saying. Mm. Oh, thank you for that. Um, when you first became professor at WITS, right, when you got your your professorship, one of, you were, you, you were there was an article, an interview that you did, and I was just struck by um, the count that you gave. You were uh, one of the youngest engineers at the age of 36 to be in this position. And you said that at your last count of the 126 learners in your grade 12 class, 10 had PhDs and others were still studying while some are, you know, in really senior positions in big companies. What do you believe was the secret for the sort of achievement for your community, not for your community, but what is it that your community did right to bring about this sort of achievement? I mean, 10 PhDs out of a cohort of 126 no, I mean, absolutely. I must confess, uh, I was surrounded by by great teachers uh, when I was growing up. I, I went to a school called Mbiri. Mbiri School is actually quite um, a very, very uh, accomplished school. Uh, and and, and there, there were a number of principles that, uh, uh, that I learned from Mbiri. Firstly, you must work hard. Hmm. Very, very important. Uh, the concept of punctuality was embedded in us when we were students there. Uh, the concept of working hard was embedded uh, in us working uh, and studying there. I mean, I remember I used to uh, be one of the first uh, uh, kids to arrive at school, and the principal will already be there. Hmm. And when we leave, uh, the principal will still be there, and he. You know, I thought he knew all of us by by names uh, because uh, uh, he he actually would uh, greet us by our names. Uh, later on, after I, I had gone to 
United States and I was brought back, it must have been like seven years after uh, he taught us and I was working in Pretoria. Uh, at, that, at that point, he was completing a doctorate in physics uh, at, uh, at uh, UNISA. And then he, he, he was able to, to tell them that is me, you know, which I was quite impressed. <laughs> so it is really a commitment to what we do that makes all the difference. Mm. And the most important people in every society are actually the teachers. If you want to know the character of uh, a society, go and look at the character of these teachers. Ooh. If teachers are not punctual, then that society is not going to be punctual. If teachers don't take their work seriously, then that society uh, is not going to take its work seriously. Because remember, many of us with children, uh, we leave our children with these teachers for hours, mm. sometimes eight hours, five days a week, you know, uh, they're with our teachers. So I think that was that was the principle. And out of my class, uh, uh, Katuma Maila, who, uh, who later became uh, the editor of, of City, uh, Press, yes. City Press, was uh, actually our prefect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I you know, see. He was, was our prefect. Uh, we had our own uh, uh, differences uh, uh, because uh, he did not quite, uh, he, he liked to report me to the principal uh, at that point. <laughs> uh, you know, and, um, you know, the former uh, CEO of uh, Daimler, uh, Daimler Financial Services, one of the companies of uh, of Mercedes-Benz was was also uh, in our uh, in our class, and mm. he later on also became a prefect. You know, mm. so and also uh, I think when you have people who are motivating, because motiv- motivation is almost like um, a, a pandemic; it spreads like a pandemic, mm. an, an epidemic. So if uh, if one person is motivated. Uh, there are going to be people around that particular person that are also going to be motivated and then it has a multiplier effect and then afterwards you actually have a new culture that emerges out of that community. And and, and those are, are things that actually were formulas of success. Mm. When you actually welcomed your students back to another academic year, it was actually this year, yes, the dawn of a new decade and so on, uh, you also sent a message to educators and you said that even their learning doesn't stop, that your your ability to be able to deliver a quality education as an educator requires that you yourself continue uh, to, to, to learn. And so I think this ties in, as you say, with te- if the teachers are conscientious, if the educators um, uh, are passionate about uh, constant learning, lifelong learning, then uh, the students or society will reap those benefits. I just thought that was such a testament. But I also am <laughs> surprised that it wasn't, you, you didn't really say much about your father who was your maths teacher at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my father was uh, was my maths teacher. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he's in Vanda now uh, with my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually living with us uh, not uh, until just before the the outbreak of the pandemic, uh, uh, he was he was with us. So, uh, 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 and I think that is another thing, you know, that um, you know, uh, uh, role models are very very important. Mm-hmm. Many of our townships 
are not reaching their full potential because the people who used to be role models are no longer there. You know, uh, uh, they no longer even come back uh, uh, over extended period of time. So when you have a young uh, woman uh, who would like to become a, a businessman in IT, uh, sometimes it's very difficult for that young woman to have that dream because she does not see another woman uh, doing that um, on an extended period of time. You know? uh, mm-hmm. So uh, role models are very, very important. And uh, my father was, was uh, definitely my role model. Um, he, he, I think he was a good teacher. Uh, uh, so, and, uh, and, and I learned quite a great deal from him. Yes, and may we long remember that. May we long remember that and uh, turn it into a reality. Uh, You've won, I mentioned the number of awards that you have received over the years, but uh, the very first one was the the National Youth Science Olympiad, and that then opened the doors for you to to go off to the UK. You attended the London International Youth Science fortnight. Uh, What lasting impression did that trip leave on you? Well, I mean, it was uh, it was a defining moment, I must confess, uh, because um, it was 1989, uh, and uh, there were people from all over the world. I always say that um, I saw the emergence of China during that period mm. because of the quality of questions that were being asked by 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 by, by uh, my colleagues from 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 China, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, uh, I was in the same room with uh, uh, two Germans, one from East German, Germany, another one from West Germany, representing two different countries two weeks before the fall of the Berlin Wall, you know, wow. <laughs> quite historical. Yes, one from the uh, East and one from the West. Wow. Absolutely. They were representing two different countries and two weeks later, the, the wall had fallen in the one country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, um, and I was uh, uh, the whole thing was being held at uh, Imperial College, one of the colleges of University of London, which is the place where I started my academic career. Mm. Uh, they took us to Cambridge University, uh, which is the place where I later went to uh, to do a PhD. Uh, so it was quite uh, uh, quite uh, an eye opener. Mm. And they introduced us to many. Topics uh, such as artificial intelligence, which I later uh, became uh, did my PhD on, and uh, so it was uh, it was a defining uh, moment. There were things that were taught there that uh, never became as big as they are supposed to become. Uh, there was a, a scientific concept called superconductivity, uh, which was supposed to make our trains. Uh, become much much faster because there is no friction and uh, but it never really materialized because uh, the science of making superconductors that operate at room temperatures n- never actually uh, got developed so uh, and also the the uh, you know it was the first time that i i came into contact with people from all over the world mm. and this international mindset is very, very important, particularly for our leaders, because if we are going to build, um, if we are going to build a robust country, 
we will have to open up to ideas of of the world. Mm, uh, and the Asians have done very, very well. When I was an undergraduate student in North America, I was shocked by how many of my classmates there came from Asia. You know, and now I understand why they are doing so well. Yes. Students from China, students from Korea, students from uh, Malaysia. They were all in our class. Uh, and they had a program of taking their young students and putting them at uh, centers of excellence around the world in the hope that they, when they come back, they will come back with the knowledge and the way, new ways of doing things that will allow them to be uh, to industrialize. And, and, and as they say, the rest is history. They mm-hmm. have industrialized and they are the producer of goods uh, and services for, 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 for the rest of the world. And I think we can learn from that. And, and, and that is one thing that I learned uh, at, at that science fair, that uh, opening up to, uh, to the world, uh, to new ideas, and taking these ideas, the ideas that are good, because there will be ideas that are not good for us, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. incorporating them into our society is actually what we need for our society to succeed. Yes. And I would suggest that our listeners go and look up your thinking on the fourth industrial revolution because your research has taken you through mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering and information engineering, which also makes you a leader in the thinking around the fourth industrial revolution as even a member or fellow at the World Academy of Sciences, the African Academy of Sciences. We know that um, Africa, in within the context of our politics, within the context of our economy, economy um, and our, our socio-economic challenges that there are possibilities but we're also hamstrung it's going to be a very difficult road ahead and so you've written quite widely about that so I'm not going to take up the little time that we have uh, going into that but when someone is as accomplished as you I've just been wondering what else what what are you still to achieve what do you still want to achieve I think I think it it should be about legacy. Mm. Uh, what we do should be about legacy. How many people can I influence as an individual uh, to carry some of uh, my ideas forward? Mm-hmm. I think that is quite important. Uh, and 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 uh, and one of my biggest uh, things that I am proud of uh, is the number of people that I have actually uh, supervised. Uh, I have supervised 70 masters and doctoral students. Wow. And uh, when so one thinks about it, it's, 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 it looks like it is, sim- it is simple, but it's difficult because nobody wants to study a master's or doctoral uh, uh, qualification unless they, you give them money to come and study. Mm. So each one of them, I had to go and get, uh, I think for the PhD student, it's 150,000 uh, that I have to go and get just for their for their well-being, let alone um, resources for them to to be able to go to conferences overseas. So it's, it's, it's actually quite uh, expensive, which means uh, I have to spend quite a great deal of time mm-hmm. with funders, with companies, uh, telling them about the ideas that I'm researching on so that they can be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And many of these uh, uh, students uh, uh, have gone on to do fantastic work. I remember a young man called... Uh, Dalton Lunga from Soweto, uh, who came to me and said he wanted to do a master's and then he, uh, 
uh, he did his master's and he says he wanted to do a doctorate but in the United States. Um, I mean, I even remember how reluctant uh, um, uh, his then fiance was uh, that he was, uh, they were going to go to the United States. And mm-hmm. then, uh, uh, you know, uh, this week, we, uh, next week, we're going to have an AI dialogue, a national AI dialogue. And I was, uh, I invited Dalton, I said, Dalton, could you come and tell us about AI? You are the big um, a world expert based in the United States. Says no, no, no. Unfortunately, the time you are giving me is not appropriate uh, because I am going to be giving a lecture at NASA. I mean, this is quite, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know uh, and and uh, and it's even more inspiring when you still remember that uh, uh, when you first encountered them, mm. they were not, they couldn't even use the PowerPoint <laughs> presentation very well, maybe because they were nervous, mm. you know, and uh, all of a sudden they are at the top of their games uh, in some of the biggest uh, uh, centers of the world with huge resources, you know. It's just uh, and excellent. he was telling me that, you know, if you want to send um, somebody to come and spend time here working with us, we have funding for them, you know. <laughs> Professor Marwala, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, uh, Azania and your listeners. And that was our Friday profile. Uh, we'll put it up as a podcast and among all the other Friday profiles on 702.co.za. Absolutely enjoy speaking to uh, the Vice Chancellor of UJ. And we'll have him back for a number of other conversations like the Fourth Industrial Revolution, things like the book club that he has with his students. Um, he's a very interesting figure.